You're listening to Inspirational Decency, episode 786, Bulldog Bridal Shower. Hello, and welcome to the southeastern New Brunswick Hockey Hall of Fame. This region of Canada has produced several minor league hockey players, and many NHL stars' personal assistants. To the left here we have the Gallery of Champions, picturing photos of some of the finest players to come out of this area. Here's Gordy Jantz, who played for the Moncton Icebreakers from 1962 to 1964. The name of the team, by the way, became oddly appropriate on December 12, 1963, when the ice in the team's home arena cracked in the middle of a game. Every player on the ice died that day, except for Jantz, who bravely risked his own safety and well-being by overpowering other players and using them as life rafts. Gordy went on to be drafted by the Detroit Red Wings, but died soon after of complications from getting drunk and passing out on top of a sleeping lion. Next to him we have Howie Aberchuk, goaltender for the St. John Steppenwolves from 1980 to 1982. Howie became famous not only for being the only goalie in the league to refuse to wear a mask, but also for insisting on stopping every shot with his face. At the end of the 1980-81 season, Aberchuk led the league in goals against average, save percentage, wins, and comas. You might have recognized Howie sitting on the stoop outside the museum, muttering to himself about lemonade soup, and occasionally shouting, Don't burn the grits, Cheeto. Don't you burn them grits. If you hang a right here, you'll encounter our wing devoted to famous games in New Brunswick hockey history. Here's an exhibit about the game between the Fredericton Pieces and the Sackville Grammar Police, played on February 7, 1998. This game is notable for being the first and last in Canadian junior hockey history to use suicidal Air Force pilots as crowd prizes between periods. Then you've got the game between the Moncton St. Johns and the St. John Moncton Saints of the Central East Coast Retirement League on November 27, 2006, during which a member of the Moncton St. Johns became so excited about scoring a goal that he blew up the city of Moncton with a nuclear device. This was especially strange given that his goal meant that his team was now behind 8-1 instead of 8-0. Finally, if you continue up the hall here, you'll see a tribute to the East Coast Lacrosse League. Lacrosse is a sort of sister sport to hockey, except it's played on a field and there are nets on the sticks instead of blades. And, and, I, and I think... I could be wrong, but I, I think you're allowed to punch the other players in self-defense. Uh, or, or if they're in your way. I don't know. I've, I've never played it. All right, so uh, that's the end of our tour. Uh, no flash photography, and... Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't touch that water fountain. <laughs> it can easily cut your hands off. Just trust me. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for awarding me the Nobel Prize in Literature, an award I have sought for my entire life. Truly, this is the culmination of years of toil and the hard work of the life of the mind. As writers, we bring the music of language to the concert hall of the page, 
where audience members who are like the people who read the books will listen to the music and applaud. I'm sorry that metaphor got away with me. But in any case, thank you for this honor. Unfortunately, I am not quite as good at spontaneously creating words as I am at plotting them out in a darkened computer room, study, or pool hall. So I prepared a few written remarks, if you shall indulge me. Ooh. Um. Okay. Ooh, brother. This, uh, oh. <laughs> you know how when you watch one of those juvenile, uh, puerile American sitcoms in which a character is about to receive some sort of honor, or it's a, he or she is in a uh, very important situation, and he or she has mixed up uh, their prepared remarks for another sheet of paper. Well, <laughs> it would appear that uh, such a scenario is truer to life than I would have thought for. <laughs> I have uh, forgotten my speech at home, um, and the list I have here is of my favorite Ingmar Bergman films and my least favorite Marty Bergman films. Um, okay, well, not, not a big deal. I shall speak from the heart, for that is the only real truth. As writers, I think we can all agree that a certain self-censorship cannot help but sneak its way into the, into the writing process, so this will be a refreshing change of pace. Uh, well, uh, I would like to thank all the members of the committee, and I would like to thank my wife, of course, Natalie, you are the wind that soils my wings. That did not come out the way I wanted it to, but there you have it. Uh, as a writer, I am trained to notice the small, seemingly inconsequential moments in life that, upon further examination, yield perhaps the greatest beauty and truth. For instance, when you have woken up in a field at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning after a depression-fueled mescaline binge the previous evening, a beach ball sitting next to a pantsless man wearing a t-shirt that says Farty for Two can be as beautiful as an emerald necklace upon the neck of a beautiful duchess. Uh, also, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie The Great Outdoors with John Candy, but uh, it's also very funny. And humor, if you think about it, is the greatest beauty. Because in humor, we see ourselves, which is 
something we need to see unless we have once again woken up in a field 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning after a mescaline binge, in which case, take a shower. So I guess my message here is, take a good look at yourselves after you take a shower. That is the wisdom I will impart to you all. Um, I'll, I'll be back. I'm sorry. Uh, talk amongst yourselves for a, a few minutes. I, I'll be back. Ahem. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm I'm back, and uh, I've managed to make some notes. I haven't written anything. Uh, terribly in-depth here, but uh, I have a few loose categories of things I would like to talk about in accepting this prestigious honor. And so, here goes. All right. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Uh, influences. Um, my The main influence on my development as a writer and author of esteemed works was probably the great southern modernist William Faulkner. I'll never forget his line in The Sound and the Fury in which oh god I'm nervous I'm blanking on character names I want to say it was Corky Oh, that's almost certainly not right. But I cannot... Was Quentin in... No, 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 not... There were no Comsons in that. Were there? No. I can't think of a better name. Okay, I'll just go with Corky. The scene where Corky, the mother, is sitting down by the river, and she is talk, and she is sort of talking to herself about... Oh, what is she talking about? Really, can, any, can anyone help me? Anyone remember that scene? Really? I feel like some, most of you do, and yet literally no one is helping me out. Un, unbelievable. Ugh. All right. So Corky is sitting down by the river, and she's thinking to herself, I would like an ice cream sundae, and yet my family prevents me Oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would her family prevent her from having an ice cream sundae? Well, I suppose it was because she's so busy raising her family. And, um, and of course, the, her husband, who I believe was named Homer? I want to say it was Homer or Aiden? Jaden. It was Jaden. No, it was not Jaden. In any case, what I remember best from that book was the many scenes in which ice cream was consumed. Oh, I forgot. Now, what book am I thinking of? I think I was probably thinking of that book I read when I was five. What was it called? I think it was called Judy Florida and the Ice Cream Brigade. Yeah, she would solve crimes in her neighborhood using ice cream. Oh, there was, 
the the sort of bully character in that novel. I'll never forget his his name. It was Winslow T. Prep, and he would always knock uh, Judy's Sunday out of her hands and say, "Here's some dirt topping for your ice cream, Judy." And then he'd make various cracks about her last name being Florida. He would draw a, a picture of a key on her forehead and call it the Florida Keys. And then he'd laugh. But in any case, what was I, what was I talking about? I believe I was saying something about influences, yes. Faulkner. And of course, who could forget that other great postmodernist, Pynchon. I'll never forget the scene in The Crying of Lot 49, in which Jughead, nope, nope, that's definitely not a character from The Crying of Lot 49. Reggie? Oh, no, that was another, oh, it's another Archie character. Ugh. Anyway, if I recall correctly, the scene that made the greatest impression on me in The Crying of Lot 49 was, of course, the squirrel scene. No, that can't be right. Uh, it was a scene with a, some kind of rodent. I believe it could talk, and it would say things like, mm, I want another opinion. Or I think another of its catchphrases was, um, how many people are going to be there? Hmm, no, I, that actually can't be right. I do think that talking squirrels haven't been used nearly enough in serious literature. I mean, certainly, uh, one can only imagine what a, a Hemingway or a uh, Dickens would have done with talking animals. Can you believe? Can you, even, can you even fathom what wonders they would have crafted? Or like a, a talking dog who would say things like, Not on my watch, buster. <laughs> imagine a dog... <laughs> Who had a watch? I imagine he must be some sort of police officer. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. See, ladies and gentlemen, this is what has truly spurred me on these last few decades the sheer expanse of the human imagination. Talking dogs, dogs that police beats. Ooh, imagine if a dog was a DJ who crafted beats, and then he'd say, these beats are rough. <laughs> it would be spelled R-U-F-F. I'm thinking if it was a comic book, naturally, although um, certainly I suppose it could work on the unillustrated page, but <laughs> let's be honest, it's, the capabilities are really more suited for the graphic novel form. Oh my goodness. There are so many ideas here. What about... Ooh, what could a zebra do? Imagine if a zebra was an insurance agent and he'd say things like, oh, actually, that, that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> Forget it. See, that, ladies and gentlemen, is another illustration of the, well, not only the expanse of the human mind, but also its limitations. There are certain things that are unknowable for the vast number of possibilities that may occur to us when thinking of dogs as police officers with tiny nightsticks. I'll elaborate more on that later. 
there are uh, numerous examples of zebras as insurance agents, a, an idea that the human mind cannot possibly encapsulate. So, in conclusion, I would like to thank you for this prize, and I would like to ask uh, if anyone could get me a roast chicken. Hello? Roast chicken? Hello? Roast chicken? Hello? Never mind. Thank you and good night.